If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift. Hans Christian Andersen's tale of a mermaid who trades her sea life to gain a human soul has been told many times through animation, ballet, and opera. And it's my pleasure to share it with you here on Drift. Before we get to our story, we're going to take a few deep breaths and get you truly relaxed. And of course, I'll take a moment to thank our sponsor, Envy Pillow, who make it possible for you to share these dozens and dozens of stories for free. Envy Pillow was begun by two registered nurses who had an idea for a pillow that prevented wrinkles or bed face. But as time went on, their little business grew. They went on Canada's Dragon's Den and even turned down offers to lend them money for a piece of the company. It's a wonderful story, but I've got to get to ours. So I'll remind you to learn more in the morning about their products, the two women themselves, and how you can use the promo code DRIFT and get 10% off anything you purchase. First, I'd like you to take in a deep breath, counting one, two, three, four, holding, and now exhale, but to six, one, two, three, four, five, six, and again, inhale, counting yourself. And exhaling to six. Good. Let's get your body ready to take in this wonderful story. If you would, just start to feel heavy in your bed, lying there or sitting in your chair, letting your limbs feel weighted, your ankles releasing their hold, and the same with your wrists. Give them a shake if you can. And if you're able, wiggle your fingers and toes, as though you're letting all of the day's activities escape. Now your calves and your thighs. Let them sink deeply into your bed, your chair, wherever you are. Move up your body and feel your hips release their hold, your backside sinking more deeply. Can you feel your heart beating? bringing life to that beautiful body of yours. And now to your shoulders. Drop them down so they no longer hold the tension of the day. And your neck. Breathe in and let it take a break from holding up your busy head. Let your jaw hang limp. Are your eyes closed? Do you feel your lids getting heavy? Even your eyebrows and your forehead. Let them relax too. And with one more deep breath in and out, I think we're ready. So let's drift. Far out in the ocean, where the water is as blue as the prettiest cornflower and as clear as crystal, 
It is so very deep that no one could measure it. In the deepest spot of all stands the castle of the Sea King. He had been a widower for many years, and his elderly mother kept house for him. She deserved great praise, especially for her care of the little sea princesses, her six granddaughters. They were beautiful children, but the youngest was the prettiest of them all. Her skin was as delicate as a rose leaf, and her eyes as blue as the deepest sea. But like all the others, she had no feet, and her body ended in a fish's tail. All day long they played in the great halls of the castle, or among the living flowers that grew out of the walls. Outside the castle was a beautiful garden in which grew bright red and dark blue flowers. The earth itself was a gorgeous deep blue sand. Over everything lay a peculiar sapphire-colored radiance instead of the dark depths of the sea. The youngest daughter was a quiet and thoughtful child, while her sisters delighted in wonderful things found in the wrecks of vessels. She cared only for her pretty garden flowers and a beautiful marble statue. It was of a handsome boy, carved out of pure white stone, which had fallen to the bottom of the sea from a wreck. She planted by the statue a rose-colored weeping willow. It grew rapidly and soon hung its fresh branches over the statue, almost down to the blue sands. She loved to hear about the world above the sea. She made her old grandmother tell her all she knew of the ships and of the towns, the people, and the animals. To her it seemed most wonderful and beautiful to hear that the flowers of the land had fragrance, those below the sea had none, that the trees of the forest were green, and that the fishes among the trees could sing so sweetly that it was a pleasure to listen to them. When you turn fifteen, said the grandmother, you will have permission to rise up out of the sea and sit on the rocks in the moonlight while the great ships go sailing by. Then you will see both forests and towns. For many nights after that talk, the little mermaid stood by the open window, looking up through the dark blue water and watching the fish as they splashed about with their fins and tails. She could see the moon and stars shining faintly, but through the water they looked larger than they do to our eyes. When something like a black cloud passed between her and them, she knew that it was either a whale or a ship full of human beings. As each sister turned fifteen, the little mermaid listened with great interest as she heard their descriptions. From stories of animals they had never seen, to church steeples and icebergs, the youngest mermaid painted vivid pictures in her mind. At last, 
she turned fifteen, and the little mermaid said farewell and rose as lightly as a bubble to the surface of the water. The sun had just set when she raised her head above the waves. Through the glimmering twilight the sea was calm and the air mild and fresh. A large ship with three masts lay calm on the water. The sailors sat idle on the deck. There was music and song on board, and as darkness came on, a hundred colored lanterns were lighted. The little mermaid swam close to the cabin windows, and the waves lifted her up so she could see in and observe a number of brightly dressed people. The most beautiful of all was a young prince with large black eyes. He was sixteen, and his birthday was being celebrated with great display. More than a hundred rockets rose in the air, and it looked as if all the stars of heaven were falling around the little mermaid, who had never seen such fireworks before. Oh, how handsome the young prince looked in the bright light. The sea was becoming restless, and after a while the sails were set and the ship went on her way. But soon the waves rose higher, and lightning appeared in the distance. A dreadful storm was approaching. The great ship pursued her flying course over the raging sea, with waves rising mountain high. At length, the ship groaned and creaked. The thick planks gave way under the lashing of the sea as the waves broke over the deck. The mainmast snapped like a reed, and as the ship lay over on her side, the water rushed in. The little mermaid knew that the crew was in danger. When a flash of lightning came, she could see everyone who had been on board, except the prince. She had seen him sink into the deep waves, and she was glad, until she remembered that human beings could not live in the water, so that when he got down to her father's palace, he would certainly be quite dead. He must not die. Diving deep under the dark waters, rising and falling with the waves, she finally managed to reach the young prince who was fast losing his strength. She held his head above the water and then let the waves carry them where they would. By morning, the storm had ceased, but of the ship, not a single fragment could be found. The sun came up red and shining out of the water, and its beams brought back the hue of health to the prince's cheeks but his eyes remained closed. The mermaid kissed his high, smooth forehead and stroked back his wet hair. He seemed to her like the marble statue in her little garden, so she kissed him again and wished that he might live. Soon they came in sight of land, and then the sea formed a little bay, quiet still and deep, 
she laid the prince in the warm sunshine. Just then, bells sounded in the large white building, and some young girls came into the garden. The little mermaid hid herself among some high rocks and watched to see what would become of the poor prince. It was not long before she saw a number of people approach him, and he came to life again and smiled. But to her, he sent no smile. He knew not that she had saved him. This made her very sorrowful, and when he was led away into the great building, she dived down into the water and returned to her father's castle. Now she had always been silent and thoughtful, but now she was more so than ever. Her sisters asked what she had seen during her first visit to the surface, but she could not tell them. Every night she visited the place where she left the prince, but never saw him, and always returned home more sorrowful than before. Finally, she could bear it no longer and told one of her sisters all about it. Soon it became known to several mermaids, one of whom had a friend who happened to know about the prince. She told them where the prince came from and where his palace stood. Come, little sister, said the other princesses. Then they entwined their arms and rose together to the surface of the water, near the spot where they knew the prince's palace stood. It was built of bright yellow shining stone and had long flights of marble steps, one of which reached quite down to the sea. Splendid gilded cupolas rose over the roof and between the pillars that surrounded the whole building stood lifelike statues of marble. In the center of the largest salon, a fountain threw its sparkling jets high up into the glass cupola of the ceiling, through which the sun shone in upon the water and upon the beautiful plants that grew in the basin of the fountain. Now that the mermaid knew where the prince lived, she spent many an evening and night on the water nearby. Swimming much nearer the shore than any of the others had ventured, and once she went up the narrow channel under the marble balcony, which threw a broad shadow on the water. Here she watched the young prince. She often saw him evenings, sailing in a beautiful boat. Many a night, too, when the fishermen set their nets, she heard them relate many good things about the young prince, and this made her glad that she had saved his life. She remembered how his head had rested on her chest and how warmly she had kissed him, but he knew nothing of all this and could not even dream of her. She grew more and more to like human beings and wished to be able to wander about with them. There was so much she wanted to know, but her sisters were unable to answer all her questions, so she went to her grandmother. If human beings are not drowned, she asked, 
can they live forever? They must also die, and their lives are even shorter than ours. We sometimes live for three hundred years, but when we cease to exist here, we become only foam on the surface of the water. We have not immortal souls. We shall never live again. Human beings, on the contrary, have souls which live forever, even after the body has been turned to dust. They rise up through the clear, pure air, beyond the glittering stars to unknown and glorious regions, which we shall never see. Oh, I would gladly give all of my hundreds of years to be a human being only for one day and to have the hope of knowing the happiness of that glorious world above the stars. Is there anything I can do to win an immortal soul? No, unless a man should love you so much that you were married. He would give you a soul and retain his own as well. But this can never happen, dear one. Your fish's tail on earth is thought to be quite ugly. So let us be happy during the three hundred years that we have to live. This evening, we are going to have a court ball. The ball was one of those splendid sights which we can never see on earth. But the little mermaid crept away silently out of her father's palace, and while everything within was gladness and song, she sat in her own little garden, sorrowful and alone. Then she heard the bugle sounding through the water and thought, He is certainly sailing above. I'll try anything to win an immortal soul. I will go to the sea witch. She can give me counsel and help. The little mermaid went out from her garden and took the road to the foaming whirlpools, behind which the fearsome sorceress lived. She had never been that way before. Neither flowers nor grass grew there, nothing but bare, gray, sandy ground. Beyond this was the witch's house, which stood in the center of a strange forest, where all the flowers and trees looked like serpents with a hundred heads growing out of the ground. The little mermaid was so alarmed that her heart pounded with fear. She nearly turned back, but she thought of the prince and of the human soul for which she longed, and her courage returned. Soon she came upon the fearsome sea witch. I know what you want. It is very stupid of you, but you shall have your way, though it will bring you sorrow. You want to get rid of your fish's tail so that the young prince may fall in love with you and so that you may have an immortal soul. And then the witch laughed so loud and so disgustingly that the mermaid covered her ears. I will prepare a potion for you with which you must swim to land tomorrow before sunrise. Sit there and drink it. Your tail will then disappear and shrink up 
into what humans call legs. You will feel great pain, but all who see you will say that you are the prettiest little human being they ever saw. You will still have the same floating grace, but every step you take will be as if you were treading upon sharp knives. If you will bear all this, I will help you. But when you become human, you will never return to your sister's or to your father's palace again. And if you do not win the love of the prince, you will never have an immortal soul. The first morning after he marries another, your heart will break and you will become foam on the crest of the waves. I will do it, said the little mermaid, and she became pale as death. Now I must be paid, and it is not a trifle. You have the sweetest voice of any who dwell here, but the best thing you possess will I have as the price of my costly potion. But, but if you take away my voice, what is left for me? Your beautiful form, your graceful walk, and your expressive eyes. Surely with these you can enchain a man's heart. Have you lost your courage? It shall be, said the little mermaid. Then... The witch took away the mermaid's voice, after which she presented her potion. Holding it tightly, she passed quickly through the wood and the marsh and between the rushing whirlpools. She saw that in her father's palace all were asleep. Leaving them forever, she felt as if her heart would break. She took a flower from the garden of each of her sisters kissed her hand towards the palace, and rose up through the dark blue waters. The moon shone bright when she came in sight of the prince's palace and approached the marble steps. The little mermaid sat and drank the magic potion, and it seemed as if a two-edged sword went through her delicate body. She fell into a swoon as though dead. When the sun rose, she recovered and felt a sharp pain, but before her stood the handsome young prince. He fixed his coal-black eyes upon her so earnestly that she cast down her own and then became aware that her fish's tail was gone and that she had as pretty a pair of legs and feet as any little maiden could have. But she had no clothes, so she wrapped herself in her long, thick hair. The prince asked her who she was and whence she came. She looked at him sorrowfully with her deep blue eyes, but could not speak. He took her by the hand and led her to the palace. Every step she took was as the witch had said it would be. She felt as though she were treading upon the points of needles or sharp knives. She bore it willingly, however, 
and moved at the prince's side as lightly as a bubble, so that he and all who saw her wondered at her graceful, swaying movements. She was very soon arrayed in costly robes of silk, and was the most beautiful creature in the palace, though she could neither speak nor sing. Beautiful female servants stepped forward and sang before the prince and his royal parents. One sang better than all the others, and the prince clapped his hands and smiled at her. Sadly, the little mermaid knew how much more sweetly she herself once could sing, and thought, Oh, if he could only know that I have given away my voice forever to be with him. The girls next performed some pretty fairy-like dances to the sound of beautiful music. Then the little mermaid raised her lovely arms, stood on the tips of her toes, glided over the floor, and danced as no one yet had been able to, though each time her foot touched the floor it seemed as though she stepped on sharp knives. At each moment her beauty was more revealed. Everyone was enchanted, especially the prince, who called her his little foundling. The prince wanted her with him always, and she was given permission to sleep in a room next door. They rode together on horseback through the sweet-scented woods. She climbed with him to the tops of high mountains, and although her tender feet bled so that even her steps were marked, she only smiled and followed him till they could see the clouds beneath them like a flock of birds. While at the prince's palace, and when all the household were asleep, she would bathe her burning feet in the cold sea water. It was then that she thought of all those below in the deep. Once during the night, her sisters came up arm in arm, singing sorrowfully as they floated. She beckoned to them, and they recognized her and told her how they grieved. After that, they came to the same place every night. Once she saw in the distance her old grandmother and the old sea king, her father, with his crown on his head. They stretched out their hands towards her, but did not venture so near the land as her sisters had. As the days passed, she loved the prince more dearly, and he loved her but as one would love a little child. He never thought of marrying her, but unless he did, she couldn't receive an immortal soul. And on the morning after his marriage to another, she would dissolve into the foam of the sea. Do you not love me best of all? The eyes of the little mermaid seemed to say when he took her in his arms and kissed her fair forehead. Yes, you are dear to me, said the prince. You're like a young maiden whom I once saw after a shipwreck. I saw her but twice, and she is the only one in the world whom I could love. But you, 
are like her. Good fortune has sent you to me, and we will never part. Oh, he doesn't know that it was I who saved his life. I will take care of him and love him and give up my life for his sake. Very soon word came that the prince was to marry the beautiful daughter of a king. I must travel and see this princess, he told her. My parents want it, but they will not make me marry her. I cannot love her, because she is not like the beautiful maiden who rescued me, whom you resemble. If I were forced to choose a bride, I would choose you. Then he kissed her on the lips, while she dreamed of human happiness and an immortal soul. You're not afraid of the sea, are you? he said, as they stood on the deck of the noble ship, which was to carry them to the country of the neighboring king. Then he told her of storm and of calm, of strange fishes in the deep beneath them, and of what the divers had seen there. She smiled, for she knew better than anyone what wonders were at the bottom of the sea. The next morning, the ship sailed into the harbor of a beautiful town belonging to the king. The church bells were ringing, and from the high towers sounded a flourish of trumpets. Every day was a festival of balls and entertainment. At last the princess appeared and the little mermaid had to admit that she had never seen a more perfect vision of beauty. Her skin was delicate, and beneath her long, dark eyelashes, her laughing blue eyes shone with truth and purity. It was you, said the prince, who saved my life when I lay as if dead on the beach and he folded his blushing bride in his arms. He later told the little mermaid, Oh, I am too happy. As she kissed his hand, she felt as if her heart were already broken. His wedding morning would bring death to her, and she would change into the foam of the sea. The day came, and all the church bells rang and the little mermaid, dressed in silk and gold, held up the bride's train. But she thought only of the night of death which was coming to her, and of all she had lost in her world. The same evening the bride and groom went on board the ship. Cannons were roaring, flags waving, and in the center of the ship, a tent of purple and gold had been set up. It contained elegant sleeping couches for the bridal pair during the night. The ship glided away smoothly and lightly over the calm sea. When it grew dark, a number of colored lamps were lighted, and the sailors danced merrily on the deck. The little mermaid joined in the dance more gracefully than ever before. Her tender feet felt as if cut with sharp knives, but she only felt the sharper pang that had pierced her heart. She knew this was the last evening she should ever see the prince 
for whom she had forsaken her kindred and her home. She had given up her beautiful voice and suffered unheard of pain daily for him, while he knew nothing of it. This was the last evening that she should breathe the same air with him or gaze on the starry sky and the deep sea, an eternal night without a thought or a dream awaited her. She had no soul, and now could never win one. The celebrations continued until long after midnight. She smiled and danced while the thought of death was in her heart. The prince kissed his beautiful bride, and they went off arm in arm to rest in the sumptuous tent. Then all became still on board the ship. All alone, the little mermaid looked towards the east for that first ray of dawn, which was to be her death. She saw her sisters rising out of the flood. They were as pale as she, but their beautiful hair no longer waved in the wind. We have given our hair to the witch, they said, to obtain help for you, that you may not die tonight. She has given us a knife, and before the sun rises you must plunge it into the heart of the prince. Then you will once more be a mermaid and can return to us to live out your three hundred years before you are changed into the salt sea foam. Either he or you must die before sunrise, sister. Kill the prince and come back. Now hurry. In a few minutes the sun will rise and you must die. Then they sighed deeply and mournfully and sank beneath the waves. The little mermaid drew back the heavy curtain of the tent and beheld the fair bride, whose head was resting on the prince's chest. She bent down and kissed his noble brow, then looked at the sky, on which the rosy dawn grew brighter and brighter. She glanced at the sharp knife, and again fixed her eyes on the prince, who whispered the name of his bride in his dreams. She was in his thoughts, and the knife trembled in the hand of the little mermaid, but she flung it far from her and into the waves. The water turned red where it fell, and the drops that spurted up looked like blood. She cast one more lingering glance at the prince, then threw herself from the ship into the sea and felt her body dissolving into foam. But at sunrise, the little mermaid did not feel as if she were dying. She saw the bright sun and hundreds of transparent, beautiful creatures floating around her. She could see through them the white sails of the ships and the red clouds in the sky. Their speech was melodious, 
but could not be heard by mortal ears, just as their bodies could not be seen by mortal eyes. The little mermaid perceived that she had a body like theirs, and that she continued to rise higher and higher out of the foam. Where am I? she asked, and her voice sounded ethereal, like the voices of those who were with her. No earthly music could imitate it. Among the daughters of the air, answered one of them, a mermaid has not an immortal soul, nor can she obtain one unless she wins the love of a human being. On the will of another hangs her eternal destiny. But the daughters of the air, although they do not possess an immortal soul, can, by their good deeds, procure one for themselves. We fly to warm countries and cool the sultry air. We carry the perfume of the flowers to help spread health and restoration. And we visit good children in their sleep. After we strive for three hundred years to do all the good in our power, we receive an immortal soul and take part in the happiness of mankind. You, poor little mermaid, have tried with your whole heart to do as we are doing. You have suffered and endured and raised yourself to the spirit world by your good deeds. And now, by striving for three hundred years in the same way, you may obtain an immortal soul. The little mermaid lifted her glorified eyes toward the sun, and for the first time in her life, felt them filling with tears. On the ship in which she had left the prince, there were life and noise, and she saw him and his beautiful bride searching for her. Sorrowfully they gazed at the pearly foam, as if they knew she had thrown herself into the waves. Unseen, she kissed the forehead of the bride and fanned the prince, and then mounted with the other children of the air to a rosy cloud that floated above. And with that ending, one quite different from any we have known from movies, to be sure, I will wish you the sleep of angels. Or maybe you'll be visited by one as you have sweet dreams.